Yesterday, uh, my wife and I were about to do some yard work, and uh, the, the lady that lived in our house before us, uh, she claims that her brother was a landscape architect. I think that she just went out in the front yard with a bunch of seed and just started throwing it and hoping for the best, because there is just overgrown plants everywhere with really no rhyme or reason to how things are placed, and it's really hard to contain. And so slowly but surely, we've been trying to remove things here and there. And yesterday, we had a pretty big project where we were, rele- we were removing quite a few uh, large bushes that this lady had planted kind of along the front yard. And so I went outside and I was kind of assessing the job. You know, first you got to figure out the tools that you need to do the job you need to do. And so I was looking and, and I told Kristen, I'm going to need some hedge clippers to get these things down to where I can even see the bottom of them to even begin to think about pulling them out. And so my first thought was, I'm going to go see my neighbor, Joe. As I have a neighbor named Joe who literally, I'm not kidding you, he spends about 40 hours a week on his yard. He's out there nonstop working on his yard. Just to give you an idea of what Joe is like, Joe had his, com- his yard completely cleaned up, looking better than ever within about 90 minutes of Hurricane Ian passing. He was out there. It was as though he literally had like his lawnmower and his equipment and everything staged at the edge of his garage so that the moment he could get out there, he could just attack it. He was ready to go. But he's one of the best neighbors you could ever have because he has every tool you can imagine and he's willing to lend them out. And so I was like, I'm going to go over to Joe's and get myself a pair of hedge clippers, some electric hedge clippers, and I'm going to just go to town on these things. But then I looked across the street and Joe's truck was not in his driveway, which means Joe was not home and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I decided I'll go back into the garage. I'll see what I have to start this job. See if there's anything that I have that I can at least get the ball rolling until Joe gets home with his real equipment. And so I go into my garage. I'm looking around. I'm looking at the wall. And I see a nice pair of electric hedge clippers hanging on my garage wall. And my first thought is, I borrowed these from Joe and I did not return them. And he's yet to let me know that I have not returned his hedge clippers. And so I start to get them out and I start to get them plugged up and I start to get the whole thing going. And then I remember that they're actually my hedge trimmers. Like I owned the hedge trimmers that I was looking for. I forgot that I even had what I needed to do the job that I was about to do. And sometimes I think this is the danger for those of us who follow Jesus is that we forget what we have. We forget what we have when it comes to the life that we have in Christ. We forget what we have access to, that we are actually designed to have life. Now, I think when you hear that, if you have any background in following Jesus, if you've been to any church service, if you have heard any message on the love and the power of Jesus Christ, when you hear this idea that we have access to life, I know where your mind automatically goes. I know that you probably automatically think of life after death. And this is where I think that we are forgetful. This is where I think that we forget that God sent his son, Jesus, not just so that we could have life when we die, but so that we could have life here and now. So that our life in this day could be different than it could be without him. That that, that he is actually to empower us to have life and that that life should be evident when people look at our lives. And that would be my question for us today, for those of us who would say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, is is the life that you are showing evident 
of the life that you have in Jesus. This is something that I think we need constantly reminded of. For some of you, some of this may feel like review. It may feel extra. It may feel like something you've heard a thousand times, but I do not think we can be reminded enough of what our lives should look like if we are actually surrendered to Jesus. And so I would ask you, if your life looks like the life of someone who follows Jesus, if the life that you show the world, if the life that you put on Instagram, if the life that you live every day actually reflects the life of Jesus. A few years back, my daughter Bella was very, very into cooking. She loved anything and everything to do with cooking. And there was this camp that was running for two weeks in the summer, and it was a cooking camp. And she heard about this camp, and she was very excited about this camp. And, and this is a camp that we probably would have sent her to. It was just a day camp. It was just something she could spend her time doing. But she came to us, and she said, I want to spend my own money on this camp. And we were like, okay, why? And she said, I, I just, I want to spend my own money. I want to be the one who pays for the camp. I, I want to be the one that pays for it. I want to pay for it and I want to go and I want to learn to cook. And so we were like, all right, that's fine. She had saved up some money and she did a couple like lemonade stands and a few things to raise some money. And, and she went to this camp and, and day one, she got in the car and I said, how was camp? And she said, uh, it, it was pretty good. And I knew that that response was probably indicative of the fact that it was not very good because her expectations were so high. She was so excited that if she had, if it had even been slightly good, she would have been just over the moon. And I said, what did you learn how to make? And she said, we learned how to make meatballs in the crock pot. And I said, okay, how did that go? And she said, well, we put the meatballs in the crock pot in the morning and then we watched movies all day. And then at the end of the day, we ate the meatballs. And I was like, this does not sound like cooking school. I said, maybe this was like an introductory day. Like maybe this was just the day where you meet everybody else and they were just doing some social stuff. And so maybe that's what was going on here. And so she went back the second day and it was the same deal. They basically put something in a slow cooker early in the morning and then in the afternoon they ate it. And it didn't take long for us to realize that this was not a cooking camp. This was a daycare that had snacks and they had the kids help make the snacks. And she was very, very disappointed in this camp because this was really the first thing that she had paid for. She had invested her money in this camp and she wasn't getting what she paid for. And I think often when it comes to life with Jesus, we, we think through the lens of what we get out of what Christ did for us. And there is a lot there. That is one of the ways that we should think. That is one of the lenses we should view it through. But I also think we should carry this extra weight of, of asking ourselves, is Christ getting what he paid for out of our lives? Like, is our life actually worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? Is he getting what he paid for? For because he paid everything. He gave his only son. And see, I think that there are times where those of us who follow Jesus are the ones who need the most reminder because we get complacent in our ways. We get complacent in following Jesus. And there's this moment in scripture in John chapter 10 where, where Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. So he is not talking to people who are unfamiliar with God. He is not talking to people who are unfamiliar with the scriptures. He is actually talking to people who probably have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Like, I don't know about you, but I grew up in Sunday school and we had to memorize like a verse a week. And if we memorized a certain amount, we got a prize. And I almost never got the prize. It was one verse every week. It was like four verses by the end of the month. These religious leaders would have had five books of the Bible memorized. These are people who knew the word of God. And yet we find Jesus reminding them of the purpose of the word of God, reminding them of the work that he was here to do. And it says in John chapter 10, verse one, it says, very truly, I say to you, Pharisees, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that we serve a God who, when we don't quite get it the first time, he's willing to say again that that He's willing to break it down a little bit further because, listen, it says that, that he said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, notice a couple things here. Notice that when he says it again, he says it even more clearly. That the first time he says it, he, he says, imagine that anyone who comes into the gate or comes into the pen but has not come through the gate is a thief and a robber. And then they don't understand. And so the second time he says, I am the gate. Let me make it very clear for you. I am the gate. I am the entryway into the life that you were created and designed to live. Into the life that you were created to have. I am the gate. I am the way. Jesus is the way in. He is the gate. See, if you want to be part of the flock, if you want to be part of the people of God, Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the entry point. Jesus is the starting point. And he's saying, if you want to live the life that you were truly created to live, I am the starting point. But we start so many other places. We, we, we look so many other places. It's, it's just like yesterday when I walked out in the yard, I immediately looked to someone else for what I needed because I forgot that I have access to it. I forgot that I already had access to what I needed. And can I just tell you today that you have access to what you need. Be because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he is the way. He is the starting point. He is the gate. Like, did you know that your life is meant to be joyful? Did you know that your life is meant to be overflowing with meaning and with purpose and with intention? 
that, that your life was meant to, to be more than just an existence? Did you even realize that? Did you know that salvation that is available for you is not just reserved for when you die? It's to begin here and now. It's to begin today. It's to begin when you walk through that gate See, for, for some of you, you have never really been interested in the life of Jesus. You've never really been interested in accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you've only seen the idea of accepting Jesus as something that affects your life when you die. That you've only heard it said that, that if you accept Jesus, you will not go to hell when you die. But that's not helpful to you now because you're living in hell today. That you wake up to hell every morning. The life that you are living feels like Hell, but see, that is why Jesus says when you enter through the gate, you become part of the flock, that the life that Jesus has for you is meant to begin right now, that the life that comes through Jesus is meant to begin the moment that you enter the gate. But the problem so often is that many times we enter the gate and we, we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we see no change in our life. But we see no progress in our life. We, we, we feel as if our life doesn't actually change. It feels like we've been promised something that, that we are not getting. That we thought if we just entered the gate, everything would change. But I have this kind of pet peeve that I don't like when people mix metaphors in one story. Like if you start a story and something represents something, but then by the end of the story, it represents something else. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't change the metaphor. You can't change the metaphor. It confuses things. But Jesus kind of does what I don't like here. Because if you notice in verse seven, he says, I am the gate. I am the entry point. But then we get to verse 11 and he says, I am the good shepherd. Which is it? Are you the gate or are you the good shepherd? I need to know. I need to know whether you are the entry point or the good shepherd. But the point that Jesus is trying to make in this moment is that a relationship with him is not just meant to be entered into. It's supposed to be entered into and then followed. That you can enter through the gate, but then you must follow the shepherd. That the entrance to the gate, that does secure your place in the flock. But if you want to truly live the life that you were created to live, once you enter, you must follow. And some of you are frustrated with the life that you're living and you're frustrated at God because you don't understand why you entered the gate and your life didn't change. But somewhere along the way, you quit following. Somewhere along the way, you quit following the good shepherd. In other words, if you want to truly experience the life that is available through Christ, you have to both enter and follow because he is not just the gate. He is not just the shepherd. He is the gate and he is the shepherd. He is both. See, the entering part is easy. The entering part is easy. When you enter the gate, so to speak, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life to Jesus, your soul is saved. Your soul is secure. But the following Jesus, the part that has to happen every day in this life, that is the difficult part. That is the part that requires a daily commitment. That is the part that requires something of you every single day. See, I think we have to remember that when it comes to what Jesus told us to do is he told us to make disciples. If you have been around Harbor Church, hopefully you've heard that our mission is to make disciples because we don't think we can come up with a better mission than Jesus already gave us. And so our mission is to make disciples. But I think we have to be very careful because if you notice the, 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 the call on our life is not to make converts, it's to make disciples. 
It's not just to make people who enter the gate. It's to make people who enter and then follow. That there is actually a two-part process to following Jesus. That it begins with the entering, but then there is a daily following. And the reason that it's daily is mentioned right there in the verse. Because Jesus came to give life. Because Jesus came to bring you life. But there is a thief whose only goal, whose only objective, whose only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy that life. Like there is someone who is actively working against you following the path that Jesus would have for your life. A few years ago, we were living in a downtown area of Lakeland, Florida, and, and one day I got a call on my cell phone, and it, it was an investigator, and he introduced himself as an investigator, and he said, are you missing anything? I was like, I, clearly I don't know, but it sounds like maybe I am. <laughs> and he said, yeah, we, we, we have an item that we have reason to believe is yours. And I was like, can you tell me what it is? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, that's odd. And he was like, well, let, give me a minute. And he goes away and he comes back and he said, I can tell you what it is, but the reason I wasn't gonna tell you what it is is because if you don't know what it is and then I tell you what it is, you could just say that you were missing it and then we would give it to you and it's not yours. But he said, now I realize that it has a distinctive marking on it. And so if you can tell, I'll tell you what it is. And if you can tell me what the distinctive marking is, then we'll know it's yours and we'll give it back to you. And I said, okay. And he said, it's an iPod. And I said, okay. And he said, so what distinctive marking does the iPad, iPod have on it? And I said, well, it's, it's got a little circular holographic sticker on the back of it, but I don't even know what the sticker is because I didn't put it on there. And he said, you're right, that is what it is. And he said, did you not even know that this had been stolen from you? And I said, no, I did not know that it had been stolen from you. He said, where did you keep it? I said, I keep it in my car. He said, where do you keep your car? I said, in my driveway, you can see where this goes. He said, well, someone at some point got into your car and stole your iPod, and we have had it for several weeks. He said, we just finally got a way to charge it and to find out who it belonged to, and it belongs to you. And so I'll bring it back to you. You have to fill out a report. But isn't it interesting how sometimes something can be stolen from us, and we don't even know it's missing? Because we haven't even used it recently enough to realize that it's gone. Some of you have not experienced the life that Jesus has for you in so long that you don't even realize that it's been stolen from you. Because you haven't daily followed him. You haven't daily walked with him. You haven't daily been in his word. And so you don't even realize the life that you're not living that has been stolen from you because you weren't living it in the first place. You have to experience the life that God has for you daily in order to realize that it has been stolen from you. See, clearly the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you knew, if you knew, if you had advanced knowledge that somebody was going to try to steal something from you. Your posture towards that thing would change. Your, your posture towards protecting that thing would change. Your, your, your actions toward that thing would change. Like you would go all Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. You remember when he finds out they're coming back? Do you remember when he overhears that they're gonna come back at nine o'clock and he's like, when they come back, I'll be ready. He's prepared for them to come. He's got the whole house covered in micro machines and paint cans, it's incredible. But if you knew that someone was going to steal your most valued possession, you would make sure that you had eyes on that thing every day. You, you would wake up every morning making sure that it was still where you left it. You would wake up every morning making sure that it hadn't been taken from you. And yet the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy the most valuable thing you could ever have, the life that Jesus Christ has for you, the life that God sent his son to die so that you could have access to that life. There is someone who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy that life. But do you act as though that is the case? 
Do you act as though someone is out to steal, kill, and destroy that life? Or are you okay with the fact that you have just entered the gate, but you are not following? Are you just okay with the fact that you have come in, but you quit following? See, Jesus gives us the key to not allowing the thief to kill, steal, and destroy our life. In that same chapter, in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1 and verse 5, or beginning in, uh, excuse me, verse three, it says the watchman opens the gate and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice, because they do not recognize the voice of the thief. It's amazing how quickly you can recognize a voice that you hear often. It's amazing how quickly you can recognize a voice that you know. It's amazing how quickly you can answer the phone and just one word will let you know who it is. It doesn't matter if you saw who it was. You can tell by the tone of the voice who it is. You can tell whether this is a conversation that you need to be in. Or you can tell if it's one of those telemarketers that has that computerized voice that's always trying to update your car warranty. It's fake. It's a fraud. And yet, So often, the reason we don't follow the voice of Jesus is because we do not know his voice. We do not know the sound of his voice. Hebrews 3, verse 7 says, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See, the question is never, is God speaking? The question is always, are you listening? That today, if you hear, today, if you hear his voice, not, not today if he speaks, but today if you hear, will you listen? If you hear, will you even recognize? If you hear, will you follow? If you hear, will you respond? We have to know the voice of God. There's this moment in scripture, many of you are probably familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, that God creates the heavens and the earth and the garden, and he sets Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Bible tells us that they walk in the cool of the evening with God, and that they hear his voice, and that they know his voice, and that they converse with him, and that they have a relationship with him. That they know who he is, that they know the sound of his voice. But then something changes. Something changes along the way in Genesis chapter 3 beginning in verse 8, because what happens is the the snake comes and deceives Eve into taking a bite of the one fruit that God told them not to eat. There are many trees in the garden, and God says, simply don't eat from this one tree. There's one tree in the garden that I'm asking you not to eat from, and they eat from that tree, and it says that God comes to meet with them, because what we often don't realize is that even in the midst of our mistakes, even when God knows our mistakes, God still comes to meet with us. That God still comes to find us. That that God had come to find them many times in the cool of the evening when their relationship was unbroken and everything was perfect. But even in this moment where, where they've eaten of the fruit, where they've done the one thing that he asked them not to do. Those of us who are parents know the most frustrating thing in the world is when your parent, when your children do the one thing that you ask them not to do. You might have given them an immense amount of freedom and asked them not to do one thing. And the frustration when they do that one thing will drive you crazy. But it says in verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered. 
I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? He says, who told you you were naked? But notice in this moment, it says, when they heard the sound of God moving towards them, they moved away. Because shame will cause you to move away from a God who is moving towards you. Shame will cause you to hide from a God who's trying to find you. Shame will cause you to run away from a God who is moving towards you. See, I think what's so interesting about this story is that we often always act like God gives us this, this line to walk that if we just step off the line, we're gonna be, we're gonna be hit, we're gonna be hit with his wrath, we're gonna be. But if you notice in the garden, it says the garden was full of trees. There was only one tree that he asked them not to eat of. The deck was stacked in their favor. And the deck is stacked in your favor this morning, that there is really only one way. All you have to do is make one choice to step into the life with Jesus Christ, to have the life that he truly wants for you. There's only one wrong choice, and it's to turn away from the life that he willingly and freely offers to you. The deck was stacked in their favor, and it's stacked in yours. But in that moment, he asks, who told you you were naked? Who, who told you this was the condition that you were in? Because the, if you read the story, if you understand the story, they were always naked. Nothing had changed, really, other than their action, but the, their appearance had not changed. It wasn't as though they ate the fruit and they were suddenly stripped of their clothes as some sort of punishment. They were always naked. The difference was that now someone told them that they were naked. Again, if, if you're a, a parent, you can always tell when you hear your child saying something that someone else said to them. You can always tell when your child comes in saying things like, I'm, not, I'm no good at math. I'm no good at sports. I'm no, no one wants to pick me. When your kid starts to speak negatively about themselves, they're coming home from school, they're speaking negatively about themselves, often your first question to them is, who told you that? Because I didn't tell you that. I, your father, I did not tell you that. I did not give you that label. So he asks, who told you that you're naked? What voice have you been listening to? What voice have you been following? Because if you want to live the life that Jesus has for you, if you want to walk in the freedom that he has for you, there's only one voice to follow, and it's the voice of God. It's the voice of God crying out to you. But see, this is what God is asking in that moment. He's asking them, who defines you by your condition? Who defined you by your condition? Who told you the condition that you were in? See, this is why it's essential that we recognize his voice. Have you ever heard someone say that someone you know said something and you immediately knew it wasn't true because it just didn't sound like them? Like it just, you, you hear it, they say, you, oh, you know, so-and-so said this, you know, so-and-so said this. And you're immediately like, I, do, I don't believe that because it just doesn't sound like them. You're, you're so familiar with their voice. You're so familiar with the way that they talk that you know just by hearing, you know just by hearing that that is not their voice. See, we have to know God's word in order to recognize his voice. We have to know his word in order to recognize his voice. See, if we are daily in God's word, day by day, even when it feels like it's not doing anything, if day by day we come to the word of God, Slowly but surely, we begin to recognize the voice of God. And if daily we are in the word of God, we begin to recognize the voice of God. So often we, we give up on reading the word of God. We give up on communing with God through prayer because we just feel like it's not doing anything for us. 
that we feel like every time we come to his word and every time that we pray, we should feel the clouds open and we should feel every weight lifted and every care in the world should be gone from our lives. And because it doesn't feel like that, we decide to neglect it. One of my favorite pastors uh, talking about reading the word daily, he says, you know, maybe I can't tell you what I read on Tuesday of last week. I also can't tell you what I ate on Tuesday of last week, but I know that it nourished me. I can't tell you what I ate, but I know that it gave me what I needed for that day. See, we have to day by day be in the word of God so that we can recognize the voice of God. So that when we hear that voice that is calling us by our condition, when we hear that voice that is calling us out of the line with the plan that God has for our life, that we can say, that doesn't sound like him. That doesn't sound like him. I know his voice and I follow his voice, the voice of a stranger I will not follow but it's day by day. In Isaiah 66, verse two, it says, has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. We have to return to holding the word of God as the ultimate authority in our lives. We have to return to holding the word of God as the ultimate authority from God. Some of us feel like, yeah, if I ever heard from God, I would certainly follow his ways. But here's the truth is that you have a word from God, that you daily have a word from God, that we believe that God does speak. We believe that God can speak in your life, but we also believe that he has spoken and that what he speaks will align with what he has spoken. So you have to know what he's spoken so that when he speaks, you know that it is in align with what he has spoken. That you have to be in his word daily so that you can know his voice. Satan said, did God really say? I think it's so interesting because so often we we assume that the enemy is going to look for our weak spots to try to take us out, and there is some truth to that. But the fact is really that the enemy generally knows that your weak spot is knowing the word of God. That, that he didn't actually come and question Eve's identity. He didn't actually come and question whether Eve was hungry. I, I often think about this story and I think the way that he would have gotten Eve the best is wait till she's really hungry and say, this is your only option. That wait until her physical need was so strong and then try to convince her that this was her only option. But he didn't have to do that because he could just question the word of God. He could just say, did God really actually say? Did God really say? See, so often when, when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has for you, it's not necessarily going to feel like an attack on you. It might feel like an attack on the word that God spoke to you. It might feel like an attack on the word that he's written that suddenly you start to, to read his words and question, is this really true? Is this really re relevant? Or has culture shifted this meaning? Has culture changed this meaning? But if you accept the word of God as the ultimate truth, you will know how to follow his voice. Because when you hear his voice, you will be able to know and follow in its way. We cannot allow our weak spot to be not knowing the word of God. We cannot allow our weak spot to be being unfamiliar with the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, we have to hold it as our ultimate standards, but some of us have been listening to a voice that is stealing life from you. And because you don't know what the voice of God sounds like, you, you may even think that that voice is God's voice. You, you may even think that that voice that is condemning you, you may even think that that voice that is calling you in a different direction is the voice of God because you are unfamiliar with what his voice actually sounds like. 
That, that voice that's telling you that you'll never have the life that you could have had because of the decisions that you made, because of the mistakes that you made. You'll never have the life that you could have had. You're going to have to settle for this condition that you are in right now. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to settle for the existence that you have right now because you will never have access to the life that God has for you because of the decisions you made, because of the mistakes that you made, because of the decisions that other people made, because of what other people did to you. You're going to have to settle for this life. This is the only life that you have available to you. That is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. The voice that is calling you by your condition is not the voice of God. But the good news is that you are not powerless. The good news is that you actually get to choose the voice that you listen to. That you actually get to choose the voice that influences you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20. God says to the prophet, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings, curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. See, you cannot change the choices you have already made. You cannot change the decisions you have already made. You cannot change the mistakes you have already made. You don't always get to choose what happens to you, but you can choose what defines you. That, that, that you can choose life, that you can choose the voice that you choose to listen to, that you can choose to live a life of meaning and intention and impact. See, what I think is so interesting in this moment is that in response to Adam and Eve's sin and their shame, that, that they do experience some, some kind of earthly consequences of the decisions that they made. But it's interesting in the following verses, it says that, that God curses the snake and God curses the ground and God curses this process and he curses that process, but he never actually curses Adam and he never actually curses Eve. See, I think that we so often think, oh, if I slip up, God's done with me. God is going to curse me. God is going to write me off. God is going to be done with me. But in Genesis 3, chapter 21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them and clothed them. See, God didn't curse them. He clothed them. God didn't curse them. He, he clothed them. But so often we think that if we bring our shame, if we bring our regret, if we bring our despair to God, that he's going to respond in anger, that he's going to respond by knocking us down. But when God was met with Adam and Eve's nakedness and their shame, he did not call them by their condition. He covered their condition. He did not call them by their condition. He covered their condition and he set them on a path of reconciliation. That, that, that we would do the same for people. That we would do the same for people. See, so often we get very good at identifying everybody else's conditions. You ever notice how easy it is to know what's wrong with someone else's life? Well, yeah, if they would just get themselves organized, maybe they'd be on time. Uh, if they could just get up on time, you know, they need a little more margin in the morning and maybe they'd be on time. If they would just start disciplining their child differently, he wouldn't be such a brat. I, I just, I see all the, I, I know all the ways that if they just made this change and they just made that change and if they just did this, then they, everything would be right. It's so easy to point out other people's condition. And yet God constantly finds a way to cover the condition and set back on the right path. See, I think we need to follow in God's footsteps and not be so quick to call out people's brokenness. See, people that are broken, people that are experiencing brokenness in their life, they know they're broken. 
They know where their brokenness is. They don't need you to point out their brokenness. They need you to point out that there is someone that covers their brokenness. They need you to point out that there is someone who will cover the places that they are ashamed of, that will cover the places that they are afraid to even speak openly about. See, God demonstrated his love toward Adam and Eve by covering their shame, by covering their sin. And the good news of today is Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, God demonstrates his love to you and to me the same way that he demonstrated his love to Adam and Eve, that he sent his son Jesus to cover your sins, that he sent his son Jesus to cover your shame, that he sent his son Jesus to be the covering. I always love that this verse says that this is how God demonstrates his love. The the cross is not an event that happened in the past. It's a reality that is available to you right now. That if we were speaking that in proper English, it feels like the right way to say it would be that God demonstrated his love by going to the cross because the event happened in the past. But the reality of that event is still available to you and to me right now. And so it's not just how God demonstrated his love. It's how he demonstrates his love to you today by making that grace still available to you, by making that sacrifice still available to you. It's for right now. If you are still a sinner, welcome to the club. It's still for you right now. It's still for you right now. If you are still in your shame, it's still for you right now. If you're uncertain about how your circumstance will turn out, it's still for you right now. See, he demonstrates his love by sending his son so that his blood could cover us. Your past mistakes covered. Your past decisions covered, your sins covered, your shame covered, your failures covered. We serve a God who covers. We serve a God who sacrifices to cover. We serve a God who gave his son to cover, but we have to stop listening to the voice that is stealing life from us. We have to enter through the gate that is Jesus, follow the voice that is his, get familiar with his word so that you know that voice, so that you can follow it and every single day choose life. That every single day you have a choice set before you to to choose life or to choose death and it's a daily choice to choose life, to choose life, to follow him daily, to follow him every single day. If you'd bow your heads, close your eyes and stand to your feet with me this morning.